Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Great to be in church and uh, good to be able to continue our journey on looking at <clears throat> discovering more of the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, we wanted to start part two with that this morning. Um, wanted to dive straight into it. I've only got 20 minutes to get through um, hopefully most of what we wanted to talk about this morning, but we're doing like an in-depth teaching on um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. And uh, so just encourage your heads up, you need your Bibles this morning. If you haven't got them, can I encourage you, You'll, you do need them, get out your phone. I saw Michael before, very, um, very high tech, he had his pad or whatever that was there. I'm so jealous, I've just got paper, old school, look, just paper. I'm not high tech at all. But I really want to encourage you because um, we, we really, we, we started the, 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 the journey some time ago thinking that we are a New Testament church. Amen? And in the New Testament church that we see in the book of Acts, there's many, many, many supernatural things that take place within the life of a New Testament church. And one of those things is the moving of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit. And last Sunday morning, we looked at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, and we looked at Paul addressing the Corinthians church. And not so much coming from a teaching point of view, what he was trying to do was trying to correct the Corinthian church because they were right out of whack. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But what we want to do today Day is just to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and break it into three or four sections and just draw some thoughts out there about the motivation for moving in and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move in this place in a far greater way than we are experiencing right now. I believe that God is going to move through our church and bring a move of the Holy Spirit through this church that is going to affect the whole of the Shell Harbor City. I believe that with all of my heart, that God is a supernatural God and He's wanting to stir our heart to believe for the supernatural moving of His Spirit in and through our lives. Amen. Any amens out there this morning? God is alive. God is real. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He wants to use us. He wants to flow through us. He wants to manifest Himself through us by love and the outworking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives for the glory of God. Amen. And last Sunday, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I just wanted to bring an overview. This is what we looked at um, in the first message that we did. Number one, about gifts of the Spirit, Paul taught that we're not meant to be ignorant of them, that we're meant to have an understanding of the purpose and the place and the power of the gifts of the Spirit. Then we looked at there's a diversity of gifts, but the triunity of the giver. In other words, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but there's a diversity of gifts. Then we learnt, number three, that the gifts are given primarily to build the local church. Number four, there may be a diversity of gifts, but there's also unity in the body. We looked at that last week, how important it was that the body is unified. And number five, we looked at we must eagerly desire the greater gifts. So we've looked last week at, at those uh, five points there. We sort of broke them down and delved into them. But this morning, we want to look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And again, to understand, Paul wasn't so much so as teaching the Corinthian church. He was correcting the Corinthian church. He was bringing correction to their wayward ways. But before we go any further, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just surrendered to you this morning. I pray that you would use me, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth... Oh, would be used by you today. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, I, I just surrender my mind to you today, my thoughts to you today. Holy Spirit, flow through this vessel today. Do and speak as you would have to bring glory to our Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
Amen. So Paul's seeking to correct the distorted views of true spirituality. And what we find about the Corinthian church is this, that they equated spirituality by the way of speaking in tongues. They thought the more that you jabber, the more that you speak out in tongues, the more spiritual that you were and the more spiritual that you were becoming. And that's the way that they equated spirituality. And that's what we looked at last week, Paul trying to bring a correction to that. But this morning we want to come to what I think is possibly the most beautiful chapter in the whole of the book of Corinthians, chapter, chapter 13. And it's the chapter talking about love. Paul introduces the fundamental theme of love. In verse uh, 31 at the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he concludes the chapter, chapter 12, and he says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. That's the last thing that he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31. After he's given them all of that insight, he's brought correction to them. He said, now I want to show you the most important or the most excellent thing, and that is, is love. Everyone say it with me, love. Say it like this, love. That's better. Now you're sound, sounding like a Christian homie, love. So we want to look at this morning what Paul, don't laugh at me, we want to look at what Paul was talking about when he talks about showing us a more excellent way because I believe that we can discover the gifts of the Spirit is by love. Listen to this thought here. The most excellent way we can flow in the gifts of the Spirit is by love. The most excellent way we can have harmony and unity in the body of Christ is by the most excellent way we can live our life both here and now and for eternity is by love. So this morning we want to delve into the thought, what is the definition of the word love there? Because I don't know about you, but there are so many definitions of love out there today. I mean, the world has, I don't think, any real understanding of the de definition of true love as defined in the Word of God. In fact, I think we've taken the word love and we've so watered it down to just a, 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 a feely, how I'm feeling at the moment. If I feel like I love you, it must be love. If I feel like I don't love you, then I'm sort of out of love. That's not love. Love, love in God's vocabulary is a commitment. Love in God's vocabulary is a decision that we make. Love in God's vocabulary has got nothing to do with how I feel when I wake up in the morning about my wife. Or my husband. You know that early morning breath? You know, hair, the whole thing. You know, you might wake up in the morning. And, and for me, I don't wake up looking that good. My hair's all messed up. I mean, I mean I'm just not in a good place in the morning. But, you know, the world tells us that love's all about feelings. Love's not about feelings. Love's about a decision. But in Paul's day, in his vernacular at his time, there were three definitions of the word love. And the first love is this. Many would know about it. The term was called eros. And this, this, this definition of love, the first definition of love, it indicates a love of a man and a woman for each other. And it, basically, it's, the word eros there is a definition or another thought for erotic love. It's a man and a woman embracing all aspects of sexual desire for one another and, of course, within the context of a Christian marriage. Amen. Man and woman coming together to be one. That was the first definition. And the second definition was philia, which was the most common word for love. It indicates a fondness which develops as a person 
relationships form and foster a relationship with, in, or outside the context of a family. You know that word there, philia, good, good friendships, close friendships. That's the sort of love between people like that. But then the third one this morning, and this is what Paul's talking about when he talks about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we're going to look at this morning. And the definition of the word love that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is defined as agape love. Have a listen to there, agape love. And agape love is this, an overwhelming and selfless and unconditional love. God loves us not because we are lovable, but because God is love. God's love is unconditional, freely and selflessly given. And likewise, agape love, I believe Paul was teaching the Corinthians people that we are meant to have agape love towards one another as well. That we are to love one another with this agape love, this unconditional love. Boy, that's a big challenge, isn't it? That must be possibly the biggest challenge that Christians would have to face in today's climate and world. That God calls us not to, not to, not to just to have the, the uh, I won't mention the first or the second, but God wants us to have unconditional love towards one another. I don't know about you, but I find that hard sometimes. I do. You know, I get every time I look at Alex, I get hair envy. Here I am again, getting hair envy, just looking at you going, you blighter. He just wake up like that, does he, Cassie? He just wakes up like that. But you know, we can find having unconditional or agape love a really, really challenging thing. But Paul was challenging the Corinthian church that, that despite all the moving of the gifts and despite all of their so-called spirituality by the babbling and the speaking in tongues, he was bringing back to the, the most foundational truth about our Christian faith that God is love and God wants us to love each other the way that he loves us. And that, my friends, has to be one of the biggest challenges that we face as Christians because often we find it so easy to get offside with one another, so easy to get offended with one another, so easy to get a little bit bristly towards one another. But God wants us to love each other unconditionally. God wants us to have such a love and such a commitment towards one another because in that instance and in that atmosphere, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow unfettered. Three of us, amen. You know, the, the, the more that we're committed to loving one another, the more that we're committed to having selfless and uncommitted love to one another, as Paul describes there, I believe the more the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit will flow. It's like if we can commit to creating an atmosphere of love, then the Holy Spirit will be fully committed to releasing all the gifts that need to be ministered and administered in our times and our meetings together. Amen. So Paul was really challenging the Corinthian church about the importance of not just understanding the gifts, but also understanding the importance of love. So we want to look at three things about love this morning. And the first one is this. Paul talks from verses 1 through to 3. He talks about, number one, the necessity of love. In this few verses, he challenges the Corinthians' idea of spirituality by affirming the absolute superiority and need for love. In fact, number one, he says this when he starts to illustrate how important love is. He says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
Paul begins this magnificent passage by reasoning and he says this, I can speak in tongues all I like. I might even be supernaturally speaking in the other languages known to humankind, current or extinct, even though it may not be unknown to me. But if I don't have authentic, selfless love of which God's indwelling spirit is with inside me, my speaking in tongues is nothing but a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. We've all seen them. So super spiritual Christians. And you know, without exception, it's just just, there's no love there. See, Paul was saying, the Corinthian church, you can pray in tongues all day long. You can act as spiritually as you want. You can make out to be this super spiro individual follower of Christ. But Paul was saying, without love, you're nothing. All your speaking, all your jabbering equates to nothing. What a challenge that must have been to the Corinthians church there. So he goes on in the second verse, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I have nothing, or I am nothing. Listen to that there. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I possess the divine giftedness to know the mind of God, the will of God, or the intention of God by revelation, but it says there, but I lack love again, I am what? I am nothing at all. And if I can fathom all the mysteries and all the, all the knowledge on the planet today, but without love, I am nothing. Is that a challenge today or what? He goes on to say, and if I have faith that can move mountains, if I had this type of faith, faith that draws the miraculous, I mean, faith to move a mountain. I mean, sometimes I find it hard to move a mound. Oh, you spiritual people out there that move mountains, pray for me. (laughs) But Paul was saying, man, we can have faith to move a mountain. That's enormous faith. That's astounding faith. That is massive faith. And yet Paul is still saying, without love, that faith is nothing. Love. Love. It's about love. The thought here we just talked on about having faith to move mountains, having uh, faith to prophesy, about having faith to speak in unknown tongues. And the thought is this, the most dramatic and wonderful gifts we can imagine are useless without love. The most dramatic ability to be able to speak in an unknown tongue. And may it happen in this place in the coming months together. Amen. May that take place. May people prophesy in a tongue and may there be interpretation. Who's been in a meeting like that? There's many, many people that haven't been in a meeting like that, but the Bible teaches us that in a gathering when we meet together, someone will pray in a tongue. And all of us sitting in this meeting will go, I have no idea what that person, that man or woman has just said, but then the Holy Spirit by His will brings an interpretation. So someone prophesies or interprets that tongue. That's the sort of meeting that I'm looking forward to. Aren't you? So unpredictable, so, so unknown, so Holy Spirit focused and centered. But I'm looking forward to that. But Paul says there we can have the ability to be able to speak in a tongue. We can have the ability to prophesy. And I pray for great prophetic words in our church as well. God, may you release prophets in our church. May people be raised up, especially our young people as well, to be raised up to prophesy. Amen. But without love, it'll be nothing. And miracles. The faith to move a mountain. The most dramatic and wonderful gifts we can imagine are useless without love. Paul maintains this here, that if there is no love, there is nothing of any real value 
in his ministry. He may be successful, he may get results, he may be admired, he may be appreciated and applauded, but as far as God and eternity are concerned, he is nothing. That is such a massive challenge. On the contrary, on the contrary, I should say, and the contrary as well, that's related to a canary, Paul says, (laughs) I love our local church. You know why? Because you put up with me. On the canary, Paul says that if a person lacks love, they are not only unimportant, they are actually nothing. He moves on though. Because Paul continues to bring illustrations about the importance of love this morning again. Because he says in verse 3, he says, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to, the, to flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Even if I make great sacrifices, including all my possessions, my very life, if I don't have love, nothing is gained. The effort, the sacrifice is wasted. And I want to bring the thought this morning, Paul is not minimizing the value of tongues, the value of prophecy, the value of faith, the value of giving, or the value of Martin. If this is what Paul is doing, the activity and the manifestation of the Spirit is not in question. It's whether or not the person has love. Amen? Paul wants to see the gifts of the Spirit moving in our church. We want to see the gifts of the Spirit moving in our church. And the motivation must be love and love alone. The more that we have a motivation of love, the more that we understand the place and the purpose of love towards one another, the more that we're going to see the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. Amen. So Paul, number one, talks about the necessity of love in verses 1 through to 3. Number two We'll look at the second thought that Paul brings through 4 through to 7, and he talks about the character of love. To do so, Paul brings 15 verbs to us, doing words to describe such love. This, everyone say it, agape love. It's what he's talking about, agape love. And these qualities that we're going to be talking about, I believe, should be top priority in all of us in the local church here, amen? Because this is what he says. He says, this is what love is. First thought is this. This is what love is. Love is patient. Woo! (laughs) I find that one hard. (laughs) I haven't got the gift of patience. Oh, I wish they had the gift of patience. But number one, love is patient. Love never gives up on people. Love is tolerant. It waits and it forbears. Love puts up with others. Amen? Love is patient. The second thing that Paul teaches about love is this. He says that love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love cares more for others than self and responds appropriately with kindness. Amen? So the first thing that Paul says about love is, number one, love is patient. Number two, love is kind. And then he gives us a few verbs on what love is not. And pretty much, I think, we'll get through to that and we'll probably have to conclude. But the first thought about what love is not is this. These verbs here, love does not envy. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love is not jealous. Love does not boast. It does not boast. Love is not boastful. It doesn't strut. It does not show off. It goes, Paul goes on to say that love is not proud. Love doesn't have a swelled up head. Love isn't puffed up. Love isn't arrogant, but love is humble. Number five, uh, love is not rude. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love resists the temptation to act rudely. Love doesn't act shamefully or disgracefully. 
moving on. Love is not self-seeking. Love isn't always me first. Isn't that a challenge? It's not self-seeking. Love isn't always me first. Love does not demand its own way. Love resists the temptation to act selfishly. It's not angered easily. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love is not irritable. Love is not touchy. It keeps no record of love. Excuse me. It keeps no record of, of wrong and love. Love doesn't keep a score of sins of others. Love keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Love deliberately and intentionally does not keep doing and going over things in one's mind. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Amen? Paul was bringing clarity to the Corinthian church. You're so bound up and you're so caught up in what you believe to be spirituality. But he was saying, yes, the gifts have a place, and yes, they are so and so important to the building of the local church, but he's bringing clarity to them, saying, but love is the most important thing. Not whether you can prophesy over someone or you can speak in a tongue. He's saying, at the end of the day, the most important thing in the church is love, agape love. In verse 7, he goes on and he starts to paint a portrait of the four ways love endures. And even in uncertain and uncomfortable circumstances in life, he says this in verse 7 about love. Love always protects. Love puts up with anything. Love never gives up. It goes on to say it, and always trust. Love trusts always. Love never ceases to have faith. Love always believes. It goes on to say as well, love always hopes. Love always looks for and and expects the best. Love is always hopeful. Love never loses hope. And the last thing that he says about the endurance of love is this. Love always perseveres. Love never looks back but keeps going to the end. Love endures through every circumstance, every circumstance of life. Love always perseveres. Amen? Just stop for a moment to pause. How are we going with our love? How are we doing with that this morning? Asking myself, all of us in this place, about that challenge of unconditional selfless love towards one another. That's what he's called us to do. But how are we going with that thought this morning? Other than to rush off, talk about the next thought how are we going this morning as a church i think we're a very lovely church i do people i speak to uh, especially new people that come i always ask the question how are you are you made to feel welcomed o- always ask that straight question and, and people always come back and say yeah we've been so welcomed it's been so great to have so many people come and welcome us and that's awesome but i believe that god wants us to go deeper than that to really understand he really wants us to love each other not just you know I, I, I like you you know but to really love each other unconditionally unselfishly because that's the message that Paul was trying to bring this morning amen I'm about halfway through <laughs> I seem to seem to suffer from that problem a lot lately Holy Spirit, thank you. Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't we, I think, I'll just pause there. Why don't we just have just a few moments together as a church? Why don't we stand to our feet? If I could just have the pianist to come, bring her keyboard with her. Only joking.
because Paul goes, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But then he goes on to say this. He says, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today. We come to you as a church and we just acknowledge you moving and working in our midst. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing between one another. And Lord, as we just gather around this thought of agape love, what a challenge it is to each of us this morning. That Lord, you are asking us to love another. The way, Jesus, you have loved us selflessly and unconditionally. And Lord, today we just, we just bear our hearts before you today. And we just acknowledge, Lord, that we can't do this on our own. We can only love the way you love by surrendering our hearts and our lives to you, opening up our lives to you and saying, Lord, we need your help. We need the precious working of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, this morning, today, and this week coming through, coming before us, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to reach out to each other, that we would just get a new and a fresh sense of the power of love, that, Lord, we would just love each other from our hearts unconditionally. Lord, if there be broken um, friendships, broken fellowship, Lord, we just pray that you would lead people to that place where those things are restored again. Lord, you want to see a banner of love over this place. You want to see this whole church family, those that are here and those that aren't here, so committed together, so unified together in the common bond of loving one another as you've loved us, Lord Jesus. So Lord, today we just surrender our hearts to you. And we thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. That Jesus, you saved us. You died on that cross. You paid for our sin. You paved the way. Friends, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning, just in this moment between you and God today, if you're here this morning, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, or you're here this morning and you're away from him, the Bible declares that between us and God, without Christ, there is a massive chasm and it's called sin. And the only way for that chasm, that gap to be filled is by coming to Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive us of all of our sin and allowing him to bridge that gap. It's called salvation. It's called a new life. But it all comes and begins at the point of surrender, saying, Jesus Christ, I make you Lord and master of my life. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here this morning, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and master, or today you're away from him, could, you, could I see you just raise your hand very quickly to look across the auditorium this morning, wherever you may be. People, men, women need to respond today by saying, Jesus, yes, I make you my Lord and I make you my master. Just quickly as I look one more time this morning, across the auditorium. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless you. We bless you. Hallelujah. Amen.